Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 8th, we're studying Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 16 to 38. The Lord promises that he will act for the sake of his holy name by cleansing his people from their uncleanness, by giving them a new heart, and by placing his spirit within them. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. How are you? I am well. How are you? Fantastic. Thanks for coming to Smithville today to talk about Ezekiel 36. You're teaching Old Testament right now at Faith Lutheran High School in Central Texas. Have you all talked about Ezekiel yet? We're not quite to Ezekiel yet. We're going we're gonna to cover Ezekiel in second semester. Fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, so you can listen to this episode when the time comes. You know, I'll, I'll have to study up for sure. So let's talk a little bit about context. What do we need to know about the prophet Ezekiel, his ministry, and particularly what he's been talking about in this part of his book as we lead up to this text? Sure, yeah. Well, I, as I believe I did uh, when we were uh, on air talking about uh, Jeremiah and then I believe also with Lamentations, I do want to just check in on you because these are some these are some difficult books. How are you? How's how has Ezekiel been for you so far? Well, now that we've gotten past the first 32 chapters, <laughs> which is the part about judgment for the people of God right. and then judgment for the nations. Now Ezekiel's in this more extended section of gospel, yeah. a few more familiar texts, but it's been a whirlwind and, and Ezekiel has had some strange stuff, Yeah, but it's it's been enjoyable to, it's always enjoyable to read the word of God, sure. to dig into it and, and to get these texts, like we're going to get today, there's going to be some words that I know I've referenced in terms mm-hmm. of holy baptism yeah. and other teachings that are, are very familiar to Christians from this text to be able to put it into the larger context of Ezekiel's ministry, having read the first 35 and a half chapters now, has been helpful. So it's yeah, been good. Yeah, so the first, the first big section of the book is going to be kind of describing why Israel is in exile. It's, it's a look back at, at how we got in the predicament that we're in. But then the section that we're in right now, as you mentioned, um, this is the promise part. This is about returning back to the land. And not just returning back to the land, but returning to the land that God has for all of his faithful, right? And so that's I think that's one of the things, one of the, the slight disconnects that uh, we who study the Bible need to remember is that, you know, when Israel comes back from exile, you know, with Nehemiah, with Ezra, when they come back— um, things just aren't as great as I think they expected them to be, right? Um, the second temple is never quite as glorious as Solomon's temple. You know, the um, the one who sits on David's throne is never, you know, they're never a national, you know, a world power again. They're never uh, important again. They're kind of a backwater, you know, little neck of the woods. And so we, we have to kind of grapple with that and say, hey, listen, this isn't that God you know, God fell flat, God fell short of the promises, because he's promising some big stuff, especially in our text today, right, uh, in yesterday's text, and, and again, moving forward. But um, we need to understand that he's promising not just the temporal return to the land. He is promising that, uh, but that God's promises uh, are fulfilled um, almost in kind of a, yes, it's great now, um, 
it's getting even better. And of course, for the Christian, this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, in him coming and him taking on flesh and him uh, taking away our, our slavery to sin. And ultimately, when he comes again in glory, um, in the fact that he comes to bring us to that, that new promised land, that promised land uh, where we will dwell with God and he'll wipe away all of our tears. It is interesting how in this second half of the book, the prophet has become a lot more eschatological, end yeah. times focused. Okay, yeah. And, and I mean, because in the first part of the book, with the oracles of judgment, there was that very real historical reference to the fall of Jerusalem that's always kind of in Ezekiel's mind. And you can see that coming over and over again, that very historical referent. And it's not that the historical fulfillment goes out of mind here. Like you're saying, there is the matter of the return from exile that does come into play. But you can tell that his language does become, I don't know, eschatological is the big theological word. Right. But I mean, it's it's it takes a, a bigger tone. You can see that, that Ezekiel has this sense that he's talking about something more than the return from exile at this point. We've talked about this, that prophetic view, how, you know, you think about a, a mountain range and you see the mountains from a distance and they all kind of look like they're close together. Right. But then when you get closer, you see they're really farther apart. And it's as if Ezekiel is having that view more and more where he's looking farther into the mountain range and the fulfillment of Christ. And, and as we read the words that we've got today, and again, tomorrow's text where you get Ezekiel 37, another very familiar text from this prophet, right. you, you just see how this part of the book, when he gets into the promises, they really start pointing a lot more clearly to Christ than maybe some of the stuff we saw in the first part of the book. Yeah, and I would I would piggyback on that and just say that um, um, I have you have you done much hiking things like that mountains here and there. Okay, you, you're familiar with a mountain though. I know what a mountain is. Okay, yes, you've seen pictures. Yes, right. Um, a couple of times I, I've actually done a little bit of high altitude hiking, you know, in Colorado, New Mexico, places like that. Uh, even the tallest point in Texas, Guadalupe Peak, pretty exciting stuff, yeah. Uh, but so when you're doing, when you're climbing a mountain like this, when you're doing, when you're doing some some distance hiking, uh, very rarely can you actually see the summit until you're right there. Okay. And there's there's what they call a false summit where you're walking up, you're walking up and you, you can see over the, the horizon there uh, up in front of you up in the sky. That's got to be the top. And when you get to that point, you just look and there's another kind of there's another peak that's even further away um, that on, on certain uh, mountains. You can actually have that happen, you know, three or four times, and you just by the end you're just like, come on, there's there can't be any more, and then you finally get up and you're in the tallest point. You're looking down on all of the mountains that you were looking up at, you know, in the morning before you started your hike. It's it's really we should just talk about hiking for an hour. I'm kidding. Let's let's do the let's, text. Let's talk about the Bible. Right? Yeah, let's do that. Instead. So and and the point there is just to say that that same thought that when you're getting toward the fulfillment, you're you're always kind of looking at it, and then when you get there. Here it is. Right. And that for us as Christians, that's Jesus. Yes. His incarnation, death, resurrection, ascension. That's the summit. And Ezekiel's going to be looking at that summit, even as he predicts some things historically for those people there in exile as well. So the text, mm-hmm. Ezekiel 36, beginning at verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. 
In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. In that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. I'll pause there. That takes us through verse 21 of the text. The Lord rehearses the history of his people in brief here. And he really lays out what the problem has been before he's going to speak about his solution, his vindication. So what are some of the things, what's the indictment that the Lord lays at the feet of the house of Israel here? Well, basically, uh, the indictment is that their their actions, and specifically their idolatry, right, their, their sinful actions, um, that that is not just speaking poorly of themselves, that is not just reflecting of them poorly, but it's reflecting of God poorly. It's giving God a bad name. Okay, um, and this is this is honestly, uh, you know, as I'm thinking about this, like, like you said, we're teaching Old Testament right now, and uh, doesn't Moses bring this up with God a couple yes. of times? Yeah, when uh, when God is like, hey, you know what, I'm I'm going to wash my hands of these people. I'm done with this with this people, and Moses kind of throws it back in God's face, and he says, hey, listen, what are the nations going to say about Yahweh, about the Lord, right? Um, that he took his people out, and he, you know couldn't handle with his own people. He couldn't deal with his own people. Um, and so, you know, have mercy on him kind of a deal. And this actually goes back uh, even to Abraham, not to take it too far back into Genesis, right? Uh, but the promise that uh, that all of the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham, I think that on the heels of that promise, Abraham feels some responsibility for the other nations, right? That's why I think that's why he intercedes for Sodom, right? Is because all the nations of the world are supposed to be blessed through him. And I think that's why, honestly, I think that's part of why Christians are supposed to go to the ends of the earth, right? Is that all of the nations are supposed to be blessed through the promises given to Abraham. Uh, and so what are we supposed to bear with us? Well, we're supposed to bear God's name. And that that phrase, that, that concept of God's name is so much bigger than just the vocable of saying the Lord or saying Jesus or saying Yahweh. Um, it's when we talk about God's name, and specifically right here when uh, when he's talking about his name in Ezekiel 36, he's talking about his identity. He's talking about who he is and how he makes himself known, what he does, okay? And that's why in the Bible it's so, uh, there's, there's so many times when uh, somebody will have a name based on their attribute, right? Jesus means he saves his people, right? Um, th- this idea of uh, what is in a name? Well, an identity. That's who you are, right? And I know that doesn't always necessarily work out for us, you know, I mean, you know, Timothy and, and Dustin. That's that's not necessarily the way that it works out for us. But, you know, you're, you, you come to have a reputation that precedes you, Right, and so when people hear that that Pastor Apple is going to be at such and such meeting or conference or or, or speaking engagement, um, they say, "Well, I want to come to that because Pastor Apple's a good speaker." Right? He's a he's a wise guy. He spends an ample amount of time in God's Word each and every week. That's um, I'm I'm flattering you here so that you'll have me back on the show more frequently. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> but so God's name is his identity. And the way that, you know, God's reputation goes right along with that, um, what's happened is that his people have started doing not very godlike things uh, so that now when the nations, uh, they see the wickedness of Israel who serves other gods and who uh, has all kinds of idolatrous behavior, right? Uh, they're doing just some terrible stuff. I know in the, um, in the last passage uh, that you guys uh, studied over here, 
Yeah, we're talking about Yahweh's um, his uh, his prophecy to the mountains, right? That he's actually going to call out the mountains of Jerusalem and, and of Israel that are now desolate, but soon they'll be filled, right? And and I think that's so that's so um, that's so interesting because the mountaintops are the places that they would go to worship the false gods, right? That's the place where they would go to commit these acts of idolatry. And now here God is saying, listen, when I drove you out, you went to all these different foreign countries. And even there, when you went into exile, you carried with you your idolatrous practices, right? You're not worshiping me. Uh, It should have been like this. The people should have repented whenever, you know, whenever Jerusalem is falling, whenever, uh, whenever they're being carried off, they should have repented and said, hey, we know better than this. The God who carried us out of Egypt with a strong and outstretched arm, the God who has delivered us over and over and over again under the ju- uh, judges and, and under David, et cetera, so on, um, that God loves us still. That God has made an everlasting promise to us in Abraham, confirmed in Moses, et cetera. And, and so they should have been a light to the nations, to the Gentiles, even at this point. And God is calling them out and saying, but instead you're just out there and you're making a bad name for me. Right. And I mean, so that's found particularly in what the Lord says in verse, where did it go? Verse 19 and 20, 20, there it is, is. where they're, they're profaning his holy name because people, these other nations are saying of the Lord, look, here are these people of the Lord, but they had to leave his land. The way that the people of Israel have acted in their idolatry has led them to be expelled from the land, and then that has caused others to speak poorly, not just of the people, but of the Lord. And that's going to be the main concern that the Lord has, is the holiness of his name. We're going to see how he's going to vindicate that holiness of his name. As, As I think about that theme that we're going to see throughout this text, the name of the Lord, some of the things that come to my mind come straight from the catechism, I think you you said earlier as we were visiting before the program that you've been teaching the Ten Commandments at Faith Lutheran High School, yes. and commandment number two deals with God's name, the misuse of God's name. Depending on your numbering of the Ten Commandments, yes. That's right, that's right. The way we would number them in the Catechism, that's commandment sure. number two. absolutely. And then there's, there's the connection as well to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, where mm-hmm. we ask that God's name would be holy among us. And I, I think particularly that first petition is a helpful thing to include in our conversation here when we think about how God's name is kept holy among us. It is by the true teaching of his word, but it is also when we as the people of God lead holy lives according to it. And and sometimes we don't think about how that reflects upon God, but that is the concern in the first petition and for the people of Israel here, that their idolatry has reflected poorly upon God. They bear his name. They're his people. And people look at them and say, well, what does that say about God? And that's, I think, part of our concern still today. Those who bear the name of God, we are Christians. We bear his name. And how our actions reflect upon God's name, I think that's a a pretty good connection we can make to our lives as Christians. Right, and so if if we were going to throw around theological terms, we could use a term like antinomianism. Whoa, that's a big one. It is, yeah. I had to really wind up for that. Um, but the people who despise the law, the people who say we are free in Christ, and so we get to do whatever it is that we want to do, right? And this does happen in some Christian churches. It is not helpful uh, because it. First of all, um, Jesus says that, or Paul says rather, that you've been set free uh, from sin. Uh, why are you now submitting to that same yoke of slavery, right? And uh, and also from 
an Ezekiel 36 standpoint, right? You're taking the 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 good, the pure, the holy name of Jesus, and you're you're marrying it, you're wedding it to these acts of unrighteousness, right? We should have much more of a Paul in Romans 7 kind of attitude towards our sinful behavior, our inclinations, and everything like that, where we say, I hate the the, the evil, the wickedness that's within me. I, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. The good that I would, I don't, right? Um, the, the life of a Christian is a lot more about repentance. It's a lot more about I should decrease, Christ should increase. It's a lot more about that living in that, that understanding that I myself am broken, and not being prideful about, you know, never, uh, never in a situation where we would, uh, where we would boast in our sin, um, but instead that we would boast in Christ. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think it's it's worth pointing out, and I, I think we should talk about this, that the main sin that's being looked at here is the sin of idolatry. Well, all sin is idolatry. Certainly. You know? I mean, but th- this is flagrant idolatry. Right. Right? This is, this is the, uh, this is a, uh, this is the absolute worst kind when you actually have set up there, you know, and it's, it's so interesting, you know, uh, like you, we keep mentioning t- uh, teaching Old Testament class because, you know, to explain to these kids that, that in the ancient world in, in the Near East, you know, you actually you had physical idols. You had little, you know, statuettes, and these were the the manifestations, the representations of whichever god it was that you were serving. Right? I mean, that that even goes to the golden calf thing. You know, this image, this idol, this statue is this is the god that brought you out of Egypt. Right? This is this is his representation. No, it's not. Right? He didn't give us to make a representation, a graven image, right, uh, that we should worship, that we should go to uh, in the time of trouble, right? And so, yeah, this is this is kind of that, that grosser kind of idolatry, um, which we have some of that today. Um, I, I feel like it's not as much, I mean, we, we probably, most of us have uh, a little, you know, three inch by six inch um, uh, digital idol that we keep in our pocket that we worship regularly and that we get out all the time to make sure that people are liking our tweets and everything like that. You're on Twitter, right, Pastor? I, Apple? I am. Yes. Yeah, you do the the tweeting occasionally. Yes, yes, right. But uh, I mean, we we carry these little idols, these little totems with us because we think that that's how we gain favor, or that's how we we stay connected, or that's how we uh, we can correspond with with the ones that we need to correspond with, right? So, but I mean, in a broad sense, yeah, idolatry is any and every sin, right? It's any time that we disagree with God about what should happen, uh, and we say, not God's will, but mine be done, right? Mine, mine, mine. I, I want that, you know? Anytime that we do that, we're essentially breaking that first commandment. We're saying, um, it's not what God wants, you know, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, I think I do a just fine job of being God myself. And then that's that's what sin is. That's what every sin ultimately boils down to. Uh, so I think that uh, here in Ezekiel 36, it's absolutely a more focused. Uh, we can take this in a broad sense, and we can understand it, uh, and we can see ourselves in this. Um, we could probably see it in a more focused sense as well if we if we try hard enough. Sure. I, I do think what you're saying there about idolatry and the way that every sin is idolatry because we elevate our, ourselves over God right. connects to the profaning of his name yes. because we, we place our name ahead of his yeah. and others. I mean, when when we say we know better than God and then we live like that, 
then what are people going to think and to say about this God whom we claim to worship? Well, you think you know better than him, so he must not be all that great. You have, right. I mean, so again, the idolatry leads to the profaning of God's name. That's going to be one of the problems that the Lord is going to address as the text continues. The other problem that we kind of skipped over that really comes out first is this not only that the idolatry profanes God's name, but the idolatry defiles right. and makes unclean. And that, too, is going to be a, a theme that will be carried out as the text continues. So tell us a bit about this undefi- or this defiling, this uncleanness that's yeah, coming Yeah, yeah. So, so um, Ezekiel is going to deal in, in this quite a bit, um, this uncleanness, right? Um, and that's, this, is, this is a technical kind of an idea um, in the in the Old Testament uh, specifically I mean this comes out a ton in the book of Leviticus right there are chapters uh, that are written about um, what it's like uh, for you to be clean so that you may enter worship right and the <laughs> the distinction that needs to be made is that um, in Levitic in a Levitical setting right this cleanness is not necessarily tied to sin. Okay, Um, because it's things like if you touch a dead body, right? Well, you know, if somebody dies in your tent, you know, you have to touch the dead body. You have to move them, you know, and bury them and things like that. You have to prepare them for burial. So that doesn't make you sinful, but it does make you unworthy of entering into the tabernacle in Leviticus, right? Uh, the temple, uh, as the temple is being built, things like that. Uh, and, and there are ways to to cover that, but there's this idea that to be in God's presence means to be in God's presence on his terms. And he set out terms, right? Um, and there are ways that you you become ceremonially pure, ceremonially, ceremonially clean. There are ways that you get to that. Sometimes there is a uh, there is a timeline for it. Sometimes there is a special bathing ritual. Sometimes there's a special sacrifice ritual that takes place. Uh, but these are, uh, some of these, you know, we just, we get to let God be God here. And he has said uh, in the Old Testament, you know, um, way of doing things before Jesus, these are the guidelines for purifying yourself that you may come into my presence. Obviously not into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? But for you to come uh, into the place that you are authorized to be for worship, okay? And what he says here is that their sins, their idolatry, not only does it give God a bad name, but it also makes them in, them impure. It makes them incapable of worship. It makes them um, unworthy recipients of God's love, that am I overstepping there? Do you think? No, I, I think I think that's a good a good thing to to bring out, and I appreciate you bringing out the difference, particularly from the Book of Leviticus, between clean and unclean, and and that doesn't necessarily indicate sin. Right now, in this case, we do know that the people are defiled in their sin. I mean, right. the, the prophet is very explicit about that. But I think, I mean, as I think through, but he says it's like right. It's like that, which says that you have put yourself out of the place right. uh, of of being even able to worship. Right. Well, and sense. I think, and I think that's where the rest of the context of Ezekiel is helpful. Yeah. Ezekiel is a priest by training. He would have been a priest had he been in Jerusalem instead of in exile. And we've seen in the book of Ezekiel how the presence of the Lord. Where is the Lord present? Is he present amongst people has been one of the big questions. And you have this scene back in chapters 8 through 11 where the Lord leaves his temple in sure. stages. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, you know, bringing up the thought of uncleanness, defilement, impurity here is a reminder to these people that as it stands right now, because of your idolatry, you have no right to be in God's presence. And in fact, you've seen him leave his temple. And so, the, I mean, the question becomes, I think, on, on both of these fronts then, both the profaning of his name and the uncleanness of his people, what's God 
going to do about it? I know. This is ah. such a good wind-up. Just wait, guys. Wait <laughs> how, for what comes next. <laughs> how How is the Lord going to take care of both things? How is he going to take care of the holiness of his name and bring the people back into a state so that they are able to come into his presence and to worship him. And I do, I mean, just, just that thought, you know, of, of being in a, in the right state of coming into God's presence and being able to worship him, particularly being able to worship him is maybe something we take a little bit for granted because it's real easy for us to, to go to church. And I'm not suggesting, you know, there needs to be some sort of special preparation like fasting or bodily preparation that you need to do before you go to church. These are certainly fine. They are certainly fine (laughs) outward training, but I mean, it's so easy for us to go to church that sometimes, and maybe we we've lost sight of, of of this, that you know that that preparation. What does it mean for me to go into God's presence? How right. do I do that? Perhaps our our context, we've we've lost some of the the helpful preparations that we should take seriously before we go to church. Right. Yeah. No. I I, I completely agree. And, and one of the things that um, that has has struck me oftentimes um, is that you know. Um, just real quick, uh, do you do you remember the the class that we had at seminary that was, um, and I may have made this point on this show before, um, the class that we had at seminary that was uh, biblical theology, yes, where we read through the Bible um, in terms of different categories, right? And so we would read, and I think we did this, uh, we did this one time when we, you and I were on the radio, we were talking about water, right, right, right. the theme of of water as it runs through pun intended, nice. the the words of scripture, right? And so we had a lot of opportunities to talk about baptism and we were, this this was wonderful stuff, right? You can read through the Bible and you can talk about trees, you can, you know, different mountaintops, right? Uh, Sinai, Calvary, et cetera. Um, if you read through the Bible with your eyes kind of watching the, the pattern of worship, I think that is one of the most powerful ways that you can read through the Bible as, as the story of the way that people have worshiped the true God. At times, their worship falters. I mean, Adam and Eve at the in the garden. The whole the, the the whole tree narrative there is about this is the place that they are to go to remember God's word. You may eat of any tree in the garden, save this one. This one is for God alone, right? Um, they are supposed to go and remember God's word. That's worship. Going and hearing God's word and, and taking it to heart. That's worship. Um, going all the way through the entire Bible can be written. You know, can be understood as as this is what it looks like when God's people worship Him. Right. Sometimes they worship Him in spirit and in truth. Other times they worship on their own uh, on their own uh, volition and in their own ways, and it usually doesn't work out that way. Sometimes they worship Him alongside other deities or or according to their own will and not His will. Um, and you know, like when uh, when Aaron's sons reach out and and touch the touch the you know steady the ark of the covenant, God didn't need that ark steadied. Right? Who do they think they are? Right? We got all kinds of of examples throughout the Old Testament of things not going well when uh, worship falters, uh, because ultimately that's also faith faltering. Right? right. Right. And so the Lord needs to be the one to bring His people into the right state of being, so that they can come and worship Him truly. And we'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. Yes, sir. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel 36 with Pastor Dustin Beck. We'll take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around.
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 8th. We're studying Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 16 to 38 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He's the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we were looking at verses 16 through 21. The problem has been set up. The people have defiled themselves, and they have profaned the Lord's holy name, and now the Lord promises to do something about it. So we pick up the rest of the text, starting now in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleannesses, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations." It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And that's the rest of our text for today. That was Ezekiel 36, 22 to 38. So Pastor Beck, this section starts with therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? Oh, that was so good. I can't claim to have coined it. That's good. Well, yeah. So, I mean, what we've got here is uh, the first several verses, the first five verses or so that we had uh, this morning, um, they laid out the problem. They laid out, here's the issue, um, and now God is going to act, right? So he's he said, 
Here is uh, the problem. You have uh, defiled yourselves. You've made yourselves unclean. uh, And you've also, um, you have done damage to my own name, to my reputation, right? Um, As if someone could actually do damage to God, right? But his reputation, that's another thing, right? His reputation is on his people, right? That's what we get to carry with us. That's what we get to bear uh, as we're out in the world. And so here's the deal. He says, I'm about to act. I'm about to do something really, really impressive, but I want to be clear from the start. Uh, I love this in verse 22. It's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. So he says, I'm not here because you guys deserve it. I'm not here because you guys are so special or so wonderful um, or anything like that, right? I'm here because of who I am, right? And so when God makes his covenant with Israel, right? It's he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the basis of the covenant, right? And then you have a whole bunch of books in the Pentateuch uh, that's like, here's what it looks like for you to be my people, right? We see what it's like for God to be their God when he rescues them from Egypt, when he uh, fights for them, right? When he goes out of his way uh, to make sure that the people are protected and they have cities that they didn't build that they get to inhabit and everything like that, you know, vineyards that they didn't plant that they get to harvest from. Um, That's the way that God acts. And what does he expect from them? Well, that they would walk in his statutes, that they would be faithful, that they they would love him. That's the way that God sets all of this up. Okay, so when he shows up and he says, I'm doing this because of who I am, I think that that's an important thing for us to hang, you know, to hang on. That's an important thing for us to remember is that God is doing this because this is what God does. Okay. And well, that goes back to what you were saying earlier about Moses when he intercedes for the people there at Mount Sinai when they've sinned with the golden calf. He intercedes not based on, hey, you know, these people down there, give them another shot, God. They're they're worth it. Right. He says, no, Lord, yeah, they probably deserve it, but who are you? What have you promised? Right. What are other nations going to say about you? And, it, I mean, it strikes me that, I, I mean, I think the confession of sins that we use in the divine service mm-hmm. works the same way. We are not asking God to forgive us when we confess because we are so sorry or because we somehow deserve it, but we do so for the sake of Christ, the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus yeah. Christ. Have mercy on me because of him, because of who you are, not because of who I am. This right. is—we still pray in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, another thing that might be helpful to point out is that when Moses intercedes on behalf of the people, um, he always goes back to Abraham, right? He always goes back to the, the unilateral covenant, that God makes with Abraham when I uh, remember uh, when Abraham has the, the vision, you know, of the, the smoking pot right. and everything else. And there's the animals split through that's God's presence. And God is the one who walks between that. God is the one who goes between that. And in the ancient world, that's the sign of the covenant that he's the one that's taking all of the responsibility. Uh, and so when we, when we want to hold God's feet to the fire, as far as his own promises go, we don't go back to Moses because that's a bilateral. That's a, you do your part, I do my part. I will be your God, you be my people, right? Instead, we go back further. We go back to Abraham and say, listen, you promised to be our God, right? And it's always gone back to that promise is received by faith, okay? That's always been the way that God's promises come to us is God promises that Abraham believes God and God reckons him 
righteous. That's good living Texan translation. That's right. That's yes. right. So, Pastor Beck, God sure. says he's going to do something, and yeah, he's not, get to that. not going to do it because the people deserve it. He's going to do it because of who he is to vindicate yeah. his holy name. What does that mean? Isn't that, that a great word? Vindicate? vindicate? Yeah. Vindication, right? It's he's going to he's going to demonstrate his rightness. Okay. Uh, I, I there was one time that uh that I with with somebody um I don't even remember who it was. Um, I had said something and they were ve- vehemently disagreeing with me. And when I was shown to be correct, uh, I, I lifted my hands in triumph and said, "Vindication." <laughs> Right, uh, because um, that's what being vindicated is—is is being shown to be right all along. It's it's being um, justified, right? Um, the words that I said were true. God's words are true. God actually is the creator of the heavens and the earth. God is actually um, the man of war who goes out to fight for his people. Um, that's who he is, and that's what he does. And so when he says that he's going to vindicate his own, he's going to do his own name. He's going to do justice according to his own name. Um, because at the end of well, at the end of the day, at the end of the world, at the end of our lives, God is the only one whose name matters. Right. And so that's what he says he's coming to do is he's going to demonstrate the holiness of his name. He's going to demonstrate the power and the might of his name uh, because he's going to I mean, you know, you and I know how this ends. Right. He's, he's going to trick um, a foreign king into saying, you know what, it would be better if you, you know, Judah, if you guys go back to your own land and if you do go and rebuild the temple and if you do build a strong wall around Jerusalem. Right. Only God could do something like that, um, and that's that's in part the way that He vindicates His name. Okay. Well, so that's that's there in verse twenty-one. The right. the external the the historical fulfillment. We we referenced this very early on in verse yeah. twenty-four. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. At least in part, that's about what happens under King Cyrus of yeah, Persia. King Cyrus, right. Have you got, you haven't gotten there in Old Testament we're, yet either? We're, we're not in Ezekiel <laughs> yet, man. We're, not, we're we're we'll get to all this stuff. You can't put you can't put the horse behind the cart. I think you should put the no. Yeah, I got you tripped up there. Yeah, you phrased it weird. I'm all confused. <laughs> so what is going on in verse 24? The, you've got the historical fulfillment in 5:39, but as we said, that's really not enough. What, what's what's there about gathering from the nations, bringing your own land? Right. This is always the promise of God is that He gathers. Uh, he gathers together the faithful, right? Um, and so it's it's not good when we're dispersed. It's not good when we're uh, when we're away from the place that he has prepared for us. Um, and so that's ultimately fulfilled for Christians, right? Um, not just in heaven, but in the new heavens and the new earth, right? In the new creation that we hear about all the way at the end of the Bible. Um, that's where the trajectory of all of this is going, is to that place when God gathers together all of his faithful, all right, into that place where uh, where he will be with them. Right to wipe away every tear, um, they will have no need of, of sun nor moon nor light. Right, uh, but God Himself will be their light. Right, so that's where all of this is headed. Um, it's headed that way incrementally, a little bit at a time. Right, and so yes, Judah is going to return. Right, thanks be to God. Right, um, yes, Jesus is going to call a new people. 
right? And he's going to scatter them to the, to the ends of the earth with the understanding that where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is also, so that we have these beacons, these outposts all around the world where God's people can gather together, right? Which is kind of what we do on Sunday mornings. It's super yeah. important. We were just talking about that off, off air, right? How important it is for God's people to be in that place where they are fed and where they are nurtured with the word and the sacraments. That's why God gathers us together. And dare I say, that's a foretaste of the feast to come. That's that's pointing us towards that day, um, and it's preparing us. It's getting us in good practice so that when Jesus does come again in glory, we won't be caught, you know, caught asleep. We won't be saying, I don't know the liturgy for heaven, right? We know it. We've, we are singing with saints and with archangels each and every Sunday. That's why we gather for worship um, is because we receive that foretaste, uh, those, uh, those, those, um, those appetizers of the great uh, marriage feast of the Lamb and His kingdom that has no end. Right? I, I really love this, this thought about the church being, you know, that picture of the church having been scattered across the world, but getting together for this purpose of worship and being that beacon of light so that the nations will know who the Lord is. I mean, this, this has been the purpose throughout the book of Ezekiel. The Lord has repeated this phrase countless times. Yeah. Then they will know that I am the Lord, whether the they is Israel, Judah, or any of the nations. This has constantly been a refrain. And to think of our gathering for worship in a similar light, I mean, I think is such a helpful way of, again, emphasizing the importance of that gathering of Christians. You know, think of how the world might look at the church and say, well, well, where is your God? He's left you all alone. He hasn't come back after all these years. And yet when he gathers us together on Sunday morning, here is that opportunity, and we're not doing so for the sake of us, but for the sake, this is for the sake of the Lord's name. And and what a what a shining light to the world that no, God has not forsaken us. He is with us. And that, I mean, in gathering us together right now in the divine service, that too is part of this, you know, the Lord showing the holiness of his name for us, through us, and ultimately for the whole world. Right. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, when when people, when uh, when sacramentarians will say things like, people that don't like the sacraments, uh, when they'll say things like, could you imagine, uh, you know, if Jesus showed up in your church on Sunday, like how would he be mistreated? Would people even give him a place to sit? You know, and it's like, I'm sorry, Jesus does show up in our church this Sunday, right? He has promised to be where his word is spoken, where his body and blood are poured out. You know, this is... Uh, Jesus is here. And, you know, that is that is the promise here is that God vindicates his people by showing up for them. Okay? We got we can't get through this uh, text without talking about baptism. Yeah, let's bit. talk about baptism. We, like got, baptism. we got the sprinkling of clean water there yeah, in verse great? 25. What's the, what's the Old Testament connection, and how does so, it point us to baptism? So, yeah, in the Old Testament, things are cleansed either by water or by blood, and many times by both, right? Um, and so we have this imagery um, where it's not, you're not going to be sprinkled clean by blood here, uh, but instead you're going to be sprinkled clean with water. Um, this is, this points back to the fact that, yeah, um, you know, uh, back to the uncleanness that we talked about uh, a few minutes before uh, before the break, I guess, uh, with the uncleanness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. There is cleansing with water that is associated with this. And again, this is what makes you worthy to re-enter into the worship space, to re-enter back into um, that kind of a closeness to God. Um, so God says, notice here that it's not, um, you guys need to go, uh, this is not the, what was the book that came out a couple of years ago? Uh, Girl, wash your face. 
I didn't read that one. I didn't either. Oh, okay. I heard about it, though. Okay. Right? That's not what it's saying here. This is not an imperative for you to go and wash yourself to get yourself right, to get yourself ready. You know, this is not, you need a, you need a little bit of self-care so that you can be ready to, to do spiritual things. Instead, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses which is a fun thing. I think that pops up in my uh, word processor as a typo, uncleanness says, right? But it's in the Bible. That's It's got to be true, right? So God is going to sprinkle us clean. God is going to uh, wash us with water, which is such a beautiful picture because that's exactly what baptism is, right? It has nothing to do with who the pastor is that baptized you. It has nothing to do. There's, I don't think that you can baptize yourself, right? Um, at least not with any degree of certainty, right? Don't try this at home, kids, right? Uh, but... The whole point is that it's not about who baptized you. You know, it's about the fact that God baptized you because his word and and that water is what makes it a baptism. Right? So we've got this image of baptism here that's uh, I love these images of kind of proto baptism, this this calling, this callback that's you know, for Christians, we look at that and we say, He did sprinkle us clean with water. Does it get any better than that? This is how he is going to make us clean uh, cleansed, and then this is how he's going to um, also perform this heart surgery that we have in verses twenty six and twenty seven. Well, let's just jump right into the heart let's surgery. Let's just jump right into it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, all throughout the uh, the old testament We've got a couple of different conditions uh, that sound very medical, right? We've got hard-heartedness, and we've got stiff-neckedness. Neckedness. That's right. Are we allowed to say that on KFUO? Stiff neck. Yeah. A neck that won't turn. A neck that won't turn. So you go to a chiropractor or you go to a cardiologist so that you can get your hard heart and your stiff neck fixed, right? No, instead, actually, God is the one who doesn't just soften hearts and doesn't just loosen necks. Right, but he actually gives us a new heart, a flesh heart, one that um, is as he had originally intended. Right, and he gives us. Uh, I, he doesn't really talk about loosening our necks or giving us new necks or things like that. But he gives us. Uh, he gives us repentance. Right, so there you go. He gives us the ability to turn and to be saved. Right, uh, but so this idea of giving us, uh, creating in us a new heart, sounds very familiar to most of us. Go ahead. Well, it sounds like something we sing regularly. Create in me a new uh, clean heart, O oh God. Yeah, yeah. Psalm I 51. S- I sang that one time. Me too. Yeah, it's good Maybe stuff. Maybe even in four-part harmony. Uh, yes, yes, I remember that, right? Um, so this is good stuff. Uh, he's giving us a new heart because our old heart is just not sufficient. Our old heart is idolatrous. Um, it is diseased through and through. It is hardened to the point of not even wanting to turn. Right, that's what we had before with the un uh, the unclean uh, uncleannesses um, that had left them uh, giving God a, a bad name. Okay, uh, even in foreign nations. Okay, so He's giving us a new heart when we come back in uh, by this sprinkling, by this water. Okay, and then He will put His own Spirit within us to cause us to walk in His statutes and to be careful to obey His rules. So. This is tied to righteousness, to active righteousness, to the way that we behave, to the way that we treat our neighbors, uh, and the way that we worship God and believe in him. These things are all interconnected. Um, And and by the way, um, in terms of our life here on earth, that is the reason that God gives us a new heart and puts his spirit within us, is so that we can love God and so that we can love and serve our neighbor. These are important things. God wants, uh, that's his will for creation, is that we would love and serve our neighbor. Right, uh, we were just talking about that again in, in confirmation in Old Testament class. That's what is God's law. What are the Ten Commandments? They are God's will 
the law isn't a bad thing. It's the way that God wants creation to run. It's what he wants to happen, right? He wants there to be a society where there's no murder, where there's no adultery, where there's no stealing, lying, cheating, etc. That is God's will, and it is good. And so when he creates a new heart in us, that doesn't necessarily mean that we get to live in utopia. I mean, that's that's a town in Texas, right? Utopia? There is a utopia, Texas. There is a utopia, Texas. Quite nice, right? But there are sinners there. Right. Um, And so the whole point of this is that now uh, we are those people who despise our sin. We are those people who who flee from it. We are those people who uh, who die to ourselves so that we might live to Christ. So the Lord has sprinkled clean water to cleanse. Yes. He's given a new heart. He's placed his spirit so that the life starts to match. I mean, and that goes back to what we're talking about, the profaning of God's name. Right the holiness of his name among us, that his word is truly taught, that we as Christians lead holy lives according to it. The Lord is doing all of this for his people. And I think, you know, one, one thing that stands out as the text continues is that, and maybe this is just the way that I tend to read, I, I hear the you as a singular, and I'm thinking what God does for me, but this is very clearly yeah. not just for me as an individual Christian, but this is for the whole people of God. This is for y'all. This is for y'all, to say it <laughs> as they would in Utopia, Texas. This is true. So the y'all, I mean, it really comes into view, I think, as the text continues, and, and now we're not just talking about people, but also about effects on the land. You're right. going to dwell in the land, and that land's going to be abundant and, and produce its fruit. Take us into to the way that yeah, works. Yeah, so, I mean, this is this is almost, I mean, this is the the uh, the bookend. This is the opposite. This is the, the undoing of the curse of when Adam and Eve fall into sin. Remember, God says that uh, thorns and thistles the ground will produce for you, right? Um, that's why we have uh, all those sticker burrs and everything like that out in the grass. Um, that's why creation has run amok, and creation really is toppling, and it's falling out of control, and that's, uh, you know, I was at a disaster conference, a disaster relief conference, I should say, uh, just a couple of weeks ago in St. Louis, and uh, we were talking about um, how creation is uh, is running amok, how it's falling apart, how it's breaking down, uh, but the people of God are reaching into that, um, and they're, they're speaking words of peace and of comfort and of hope uh, because God is making all things new, right? How great is that? And that's exactly what he prophesies here. That's exactly the promise that God gives is, just as surely as I'm giving you, O son of man, right, a new heart and my spirit within you, I'm sprinkling you so that you're no longer unclean, um, creation itself will begin to respond, right? God says, I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no more famine upon you. Right? Does that mean that Israel and, and Judah specifically never uh, encountered famine again? Probably not. Um, but it means that that is what is starting to happen, and that is what is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, is the fact that the curse is being undone for the sake not of the fact that you guys are so nice or that you guys uh, really deserve it, but this is who God is. That's what God does. He comes to to uh, to end famine. He comes to end poverty, to end hunger, to end all of these things. Um, and part of the way that this is being done is through the new hearts that he gives us, right? So he gives us a new heart, and all of a sudden we love and serve our neighbor. All of a sudden we act in their best interests and not just in ours, right? And as that happens, um, creation begins to heal, Again, we don't experience all of that in our daily lives. Uh, maybe we do experience drought or hurricane or, or natural disaster or, or, or local disaster. But the promise still stands that God is bringing this newer creation, this renewed creation, this cleansed creation. And that is what we can look forward to uh, with this prophecy from uh, from Ezekiel. I mean, he even references, he says that they'll look at it and they'll say, this is like the Garden of Eden. 
right? I mean, that's that's right there. That, that's that's low hanging fruit, not to use a Garden of Eden pun, right? But that's that's the trajectory of where Ezekiel, and specifically where the word of Yahweh comes to him, where that's taking him is so that we can get back to that Garden of Eden reset. We can get back to that place where everything is good. And then wh- what is the point of all of this? Well, you said it a few minutes ago. He ends many of these sections with, then they will know that I am the Lord. Okay, so you'll look around, you'll see this new heart within you, this cleanliness uh, that comes from being forgiven. Um, you'll see all of this, and when you, when you get into that, you start to see who God is. You start to see what God is like. You start to see the fact that he is a God that makes all things new. Right. That's where that's the trajectory of where we're going with all of this is to say that God is the one who is going to break into history. He's going to break into creation uh, in Jesus and the person and the work and the love and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus in his ascension. And even, yes, in his uh, in his soon to be return. He's coming to be the one who takes away all of the bad stuff of creation, all of the brokenness of idolatry, um, all of the stuff that separates us and that, that drives a wedge between us and God. This is the way that he vindicates his name, right, is he removes all sin. He takes it away. He purges it from us. Um, and then we're just left to, uh, well, be in his presence, to be with him, to experience the joys of, uh, of the new creation. What a what a beautiful picture that Ezekiel gives us. I love how the the image of the good shepherd returns again at the very end of yeah, this. Yeah, we yeah, talked about great? Ezekiel thirty four had that image, and here it comes back at the end of this chapter. And the just the the quick note, you know, it says like like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. There were it was during Josiah's reformation there when he renewed some of the sacrifices, there were 40,000 plus. I mean, just picture all the lambs that would have been there. The The point here is the numerous, the abundance that the Lord is going to bring, going back to Abraham, the promise of the, the descendants like the stars in the sky, thinking about the view from Revelation, more people than can be numbered. This is the, the picture. With just about a, a minute left, Pastor Beck, as you reflect on this section of Ezekiel chapter 36, give us your final thoughts. Again, help us to see how this text points us to Christ. Well, I think we covered just about all of the books of the Bible during our, so. the course of our Genesis our study to today. Revelation. Yeah, that's those are the only three. That was two. Um, so to sum things up, basically I want to say this, is that God is going to do what God does, right? He's going to do what he does because that's who he is. God is known in his name, Yahweh, uh, the Lord, um, I am, he is. Right, and when he is, and where he is, um, is exemplified. It is it is demonstrated in the fact that he has mercy on sinners. Right, he allows us to be broken down by our own sins and by the uh, by the penalties and the punishments for them, but not to hurt us, not to not to uh, to beat us down, but instead to call us to repentance. And when we repent, when we experience God's love, um, well, we turn. We turn and we are welcomed back, and he, he he does the act of repenting us. He does the act of saving us. He does all of this sprinkling clean, this new heart, this new spirit. Everything that he does is for the sake of his name. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you all. Instead, I do it for the sake of my holy name, so that we can look at his name and we can be saved. That's the gospel of the Lord for us this day. Praise to Christ. Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us today with Ezekiel 36, verses 16 to 38. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Take care. 
I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel or comments on the series, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.